Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high-income earners come to learn wealth-building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth-building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. Hi, everyone. My name's Christian Allen, and with me is my co-host. You know him as Rodney the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, what's up, man? Hey, I am glad to be here and really excited about today's interview. Yep. I'm super excited about in- the interview today. We had the chance to visit with and have a great conversation with Jay Steinfeld, the CEO, founder and CEO of Blinds.com, um, who just has an incredible and vast array of experience. Like The three things that kind of stood out to me was his energy, passion, and wisdom, right? Like he yeah. didn't just have one or the other. He had a really great combination of both of those things. So yeah. as I was listening to the interview, I was feeling inspired, Rod, about how we can take our business to 50 million and 100 million um, because that's like, that's what he did, right? Yeah, it's incredible. Absolutely. So anyway, tell us just a little bit about uh, Jay and his background. Yeah, so he uh, he started. He got his degree in accounting from the University of Texas and started as a CPA. And we'll we'll learn kind of his feelings about that. Uh, but eventually, he launched the internet's first blind store from his garage in 1993. Believe it or not, 1993. That really is amazing. I was 10 years old, and I had no idea that the internet existed. <laughs> At least that that's my guess. I wouldn't have. Yeah, I wouldn't have gone back and guessed it was that far back too. But again, like you said, blinds.com. Uh, which he grew like crazy. Uh, he was named the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2006. He was ranked globally as one of the top 60 CEOs in 2013. And then the big moment came in 2014 when Home Depot came knocking and they actually bought out his business. And And he gets into this, but I think what's really cool is it wasn't just the the blinds or the even just the infrastructure of his business, but it was the processes, which they incorporated into a lot of the different other areas of their uh, of their business, the kind of configurable products portion, which includes decks and doors and countertops and vanities and all kinds of other areas where they're using his technology and, and sales platform. Uh, so he actually went on, uh, stayed as CEO of, of that organization, worked with the, the Home Depot group until 2020 when he, let's not say retired, he says he rewired and uh and is doing just some really cool things including appearing in on podcasts and and then of course uh he's a best-selling author and recently released uh his book called lead from the core the four principles of profit and prosperity okay so that's a pretty broad depth and array of stuff so yeah. 1993 he's got three thousand bucks in the garage and we get into this in the interview but yeah. he sets out to to buildblinds.com, to put it online, I should say. Mm-hmm. And come 2014, they're doing $115 million in revenue, and he makes that sell to Home Depot. And I really did like this idea. It's pretty unique that he also stayed on for six mm-hmm. more years, and I think he he helped he's helped him to build it to four or $500 million in revenue on that, that blind side alone. Right, right. So pretty remarkable, like really great story. And then, of course... The book, Lead from the Core, and the principles that we talk about there are remarkable. So we're going to get into what he calls the four E's. Mm-hmm. And can I just tell you, like, I was feeling inspired as we were going through it. So it was a really cool interview. 
Um, Rod, without further ado, let's just get into the interview with Jay Steinfeld, CEO, founder and CEO of Blinds.com and author of Lead from the Core. We are very excited to have with us today, Jay Steinfeld, founder of Blinds.com and the author of Lead from the Core, The Four Principles of Profit and Prosperity. Jay, super excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much for coming. Christian, thanks for inviting me. Hey, Rod, how's it going? Hey, great. Thank you so much. Okay, Jay. So we're excited to learn about the book and a lot of the principles in that. As I mentioned to you before we started, I've I've done uh, a bunch of listening and reading and kind of prepping for this. So we're excited to jump into that. But before we do that, I want, we want to jump into kind of your story and your success story. So if we can, let's go back to Jay Steinfeld, just graduated college, and now he's working at KPMG. Can we start there? Sure. Uh, I was working at KPMG and hating every day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I did become a a CPA, had a BBA in accounting, but not because I like accounting. I actually hate accounting. I don't like counting other people's money. Um, It doesn't, I don't feel like I'm creating things. I'm just sort of uh, being a historian of what's already happened. Now I understand there's consulting roles and that's, that's, that's better, but I did it because I knew one day I wanted to go into business and all the successful business people told me I needed to have a financial background and accounting background to understand financial statements. So it was a means to an end. I did that for a couple of years and quit pretty quickly after uh, to, to take a job at, to become vice president of finance, again, an accounting job, but a much more fun accounting jobs. We were building the national franchise of Meineke Discount Mufflers, and that worked mm-hmm. out great. I learned a lot doing that for about six years and then um, got fired from that job, hmm. uh, which was, that's a whole story in itself. <laughs> so uh, how long was this from your graduating? I'm just trying to create the timeline. So you've graduated okay. college, you did the KPMG. A couple of years at KPMG, and about then... six years at, at, at Meineke, Okay, so you're uh, still young. Year, you're probably late 20s or something yeah, like that. Exactly. And kind of lost my way. Wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. I thought I had a, a really good good job at, at Meineke, even though in the back of my mind, I was thinking I wanted to start my own company. Luckily, I was kind of forced into that. Well, my wife was working, Naomi was working as, in, in a drapery shop and mm-hmm. doing pretty well. So I thought, perfect job for a CPA sell drapers. (laughs) So I started my own shop and and did it really just as an experiment to see how that would work. I took a liking to it and I learned a lot about it and did pretty pretty well. We were doing about a million and a half dollars. Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. uh, It's good, but I was working my butt off seven days a week, six days a week. I was going to people's homes in my car, chock full Mm -hmm. of samples. Uh, my kids couldn't even fit in the car. They'd be sitting on top of the sample book, <laughs> sliding around on top of the books. It was fine. Mm-hmm. But and that was pretty early. That started in 1987. Oh, wow. In 1993, I heard about something called the information superhighway, the uh. internet. I wasn't <laughs> sure what that was or what email was. There was no broadband. There was no Amazon. There was no Google, nothing. But There wasn't. I was 10 years old. I can't remember any of that stuff. Yeah, I can't. So uh, (laughs) I started a website for $1,500 for my my store. 
just as an experiment, a marketing uh-huh. experiment to see if I could get people to think, hey, we're pretty progressive. We must have the latest styles too. And maybe I could get some people to uh, to find us and set up appointments for us to go to their home. It wasn't to sell things because you don't sell online. That's not what people <laughs> do. Well, the next year, Amazon launched selling books online and thought, well, you, you maybe sell blinds. So I've got this crazy idea. What I'm going to do is have people come to a website and even though they're not going to be able to see the blinds, touch the blinds, feel the blinds, and they're going to have to measure themselves and stall it themselves and only have a few, two colors, really white and off white and three products. I'm going to see what I can do. I wanted to make buying blinds and shades a no brainer and call yeah. it nobrainerblinds.com. And since <laughs> we were the only ones, we were the world's most popular and trusted online source for blinds. Nice. So it was a no-brainer. It It just made sense. I took all the calls myself. People would call into the showroom of the Lars Draper showroom. They'd say our customer service representatives are busy. They'd call me in my car and pull off the side of the road with an order pad on the front of my seat, of my calculator, um, giant brick of a phone, and would just would talk to customers on the phone from my car pulled off to the side of the road. And that's, I did that for about five years. And, you know, wow. I didn't get a whole lot of sales. There's maybe, maybe one sale a day, hmm. maybe two or three a week. Then it was like, God, if I could only do five or 10 sales a week, I'd have it made. Well, I remember, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're doing over a billion dollars now. So it actually, that's, that's amazing. Up, uh, to something that's quite formidable. And, and, and in 2014, we sold the company to Home Depot, which was quite a, a feat. And I stayed on for seven years with Home Depot and just left to not retire, but rewire in May 2020. And now I'm giving back, doing podcasts. I wrote the book to give back. I'm on five boards, um, do a lot, of, uh, a lot of talks to help other entrepreneurs learn how did we disrupt an entire blinds industry including Home Depot, including Amazon, and beat their butts with hardly any money and <laughs> hardly any people, and instead of being disrupted ourselves. So that that's kind of my point. I think it's possible to do it because I knew nothing when I started, and it's taken me a lot of years to figure it out. Now I'm hoping to help other people do that. That's pretty mm-hmm. much this whole story. In You're like the model. You, you were like the model of efficiency, though. It's amazing to think about the the relatively small amount of people. So so you started in 1993 in the garage and and then 25 years later or about that sold in 2014 and you said you were doing what like a 120 million 120 million of revenue at that point? Yeah, at that point we were doing I think 115 million we had 175 people. When I left in May 2020, we had 500 people and we were doing a, I can't really say the exact number but hundreds of millions of dollars and um and now quite a bit more than that Mm. because we're part of home depot and that's yeah there's definitely some leverage helped to take it up a notch yeah it definitely helped take it up a notch and what's crazy is i'm selling the company and i stay on for seven years what is that Mm -hmm. about well it was because the whole vision was to do way more than just sell blinds. We wanted to be the best of the world at selling complex, configurable, hard to buy products. And we had a platform that was helping to sell blinds. 
And we never got to any of the new products because, well, we would have to buy a, a, a company. And we never, we never felt like we could do that. We needed mm -hmm. to keep our focus on our knitting, on what was really driving our business, our profit uh, into the blinds market. But now with Home Depot, wow, we've got customers, we've got supply chain, we've got merchants, we've got all the, all the tools and ingredients that we needed. And now the technology that we build with a handful of people is integrated into the entire Home Depot infrastructure in their 2,200 stores being used by 500,000 associates, tens of millions of customers selling products more than blinds, selling yeah, products like countertops, sheds, vanities, um, custom decks, custom doors. It yeah, was, that is... you know, why, why would you leave when you're actually making that much of a difference? It was, it was very cool. And we were making a difference in transforming more than blinds. Well, yeah, well, that's what I, that? it's fun. Yeah, that's what I think is really cool is, is, I mean, you were a pioneer, you were a pioneer just, just for the fact that you were doing it on the internet, but it sounds like it's more than that. It's more than just selling blinds on the internet. So maybe we can try to unwrap some of these, some of these pieces that you, that you talked about. Sure. Because as you were talking about, uh, being on the internet, but still taking orders by phone, right? So <laughs> us in now today in 2022, thinking about ordering on the internet, we don't think of it in that same way. So you, you, you obviously we still came a long do. way. No, we still take, we still take a very high percentage of sales by phone. Okay. It's actually <laughs> one of the secret sauces that we have. We have multiple. Okay. But the okay. fact is that our culture enables us to keep our people. We have extremely low turnover rate. Mm -hmm. Forget great resignation at blinds.com. 8% turnover. People stay and we can get into this if you want about mm -hmm. the culture yeah. and how we retain people and how we attract people. But the fact is for this purpose, we did keep them, which meant we could invest in them. We could help them develop. We could help them learn not just about what blinds are, but how to sell blinds in a consultative way so that people felt were, like that we're really making the right decision that they were getting objective advice because people don't know how to buy blinds, but we know how to help them buy blinds. It's like yeah. insurance. People don't necessarily know the right questions to ask. So I'm sure you ask them questions so that you can tailor the product to the specific needs of each one of your clients. Well, right. that's what we did. And we, we spent uh, almost three months with people before we allowed them to be on the phones by themselves. Mm -hmm. Three months. Oh wow, that's great! Training like that. Maybe we were inept at our training, and it just took us. <laughs> Doesn't but we, sound like we it. would be we would be uh, very careful, and we had a QA a quality assurance team that would listen in on calls. And compensation was based not only on quantifiable metrics, but qualifiable metrics, because we wanted to make sure that they were selling the right product that they were asking questions in an assertive, but not arrogant or aggressive way, that they were, they, they were repeating the sales, the order specifications, so that there were no mistakes. It was really important that we looked at the customer experience and the experience that each one of our design consultants had. And because of that, that was our, our ability to compete against Amazon and so many others 
that did not know how to teach people would not spend the time with them because all they were was like this efficiency machine and they mm-hmm. didn't value people. Mm-hmm. We value people and we value people in the process. So 30% of the people who bought, bought through our contact center, which we called the customer engagement center, the CEC, because yeah. we weren't doing transactions. We were engaging with our customers to understand what they wanted. And when people left that a phone call, they'd go, wow, that was way easier than I expected. That was actually pretty cool. And customer service the same way, the people who would work with them. They were all on variable compensation and not just on quantifiable quantifiable metrics, but quality. Did we answer the question the first time? Were we able to satisfy people quickly so they didn't feel frustrated and anxious about the whole process? Because we wanted people to come back and we wanted to lower our cost of acquisition and more than half of our business was repeat business and referred business. Mm, that's impressive. Yeah. It's like 60 some odd percent. I'm not sure what the number is now. It's amazing. Yeah. Jay, I have a question. At what point you're in this process, right? What point did you know, or did you start to feel like, okay, I'm doing a million, million and a half, like I'm making a good living. But what point did you think you could go really big with it? Maybe I never did from the beginning. I, Maybe like, never. I don't think I ever thought I could go really big with it. Even <laughs> though I had huge aspirations about being the best in the world, I'm not sure I actually believed it. Although I <laughs> talked, I talked a good game. I don't know. I mean, there were times. Uh, that's kind of a flippant answer, but I think no, there were times okay. when I'd walk around and I'd see people that I didn't recognize, mm. and I'd say, I don't even know who that person is. And they're having a lot of fun and they seem to be important. Because, <laughs> you know, when you have to get to the You're like, huh, people, I got to think about this. That's like, great. It was, and I'm thinking, this is really cool. There are people here doing formidable work, having fun, directing people. You can tell that they're a leader. And then I say, who is that person? Said, well, they've been here two years. I'm thinking, that is really embarrassing that somebody's been in the company. <laughs> And we only had we had three floors in a pretty big building, but still, I would think I used to know everybody's name when we got yeah. to about 170. Embarrassing. Maybe it's just I didn't impressive. know their name anymore. Maybe What's that? Impre- maybe it's just impressive that you were able to get to the point where you're impacting people's lives, even if you're not you don't know them directly. So there's kind of like a like a really cool thing that's happening there, even though you know it might be frustrating not remembering everyone's names. No, okay, it's so kind of embarrassing when people go, hi, Jay. And I'd go, hey, how's it going? You know I mean? <laughs> Especially that if happens to the best of us, though. Okay. So asked, was when, it... when did I realize those are the kinds of things that would happen okay. that would tell me, you know, this is way bigger than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And like the frog boiling in water doesn't realize that they're about to die. All this stuff was so gradual. There was never a time where there was this giant leap. Everything compounded very quickly, but when you're in it, you don't quite realize the velocity of change. Mm-hmm. You, you Sometimes, you know, when you're in your car and you step on the gas on the freeway and then you see a car that's by you and then you look in the mirror, you go, God, they're oh. way back there. You don't <laughs> even realize you were going so fast. And that's what would happen. We'd go, mm-hmm. man, now we're doing what? We're doing 50 million? Wait, we're doing 100 million? How many people do we have? Our conversion rate is this. Our quality scores are this. Our, our net net promoter scores are that high. Wow. 
This yeah, is that's... like, how did we do this? We surprised <laughs> ourselves all the time, although we never believed we ever had a cap because I don't believe anybody is ever as good as they can be. I'm not mm. going to be as good as I can be, which was one of the things that, that made us so good. We never accepted anything as as good as it could be. And so that meant Jay, ourselves, the processes, every, how we hired, how we advertised, how our customer experience, how we trained, everything could be improved. And everybody had an obligation to get better and to, to the, with a velocity at least as fast as the industry and the company was getting bigger. Because if you didn't change, you were out. You couldn't, if you couldn't keep up, you had to go into some other position, which we tried to do, or they'd have to leave. And you would not, it's not just about you getting better, but about you helping everybody around you get better. And when you have a, a culture where everybody is evolving and everybody is helping everybody else evolve, it's a real collaborative spirit where we're all feeling like we're consequential and it's a true team. And it's, it's just so fun to be in an environment where you are consequential because you're doing consequential work. You're getting higher levels of authority. You are becoming better by being part of the team. That was our goal, our mission, our purpose was to help people become better than they ever believed possible. Hmm. That was the purpose of our company. And people knew that everything we did was to do that. So love that when you feel that and you trust people and your behavior is not, it's not just some slogan, but you're actually doing it and people mm -hmm. feel it and see everybody around you. When people came into or off the elevator and they, they just start looking around, they could feel it like mm, yeah. God, people here are happy. They're <laughs> smiling. I've never been in a contact center where everybody is happy and they're pumped. And they've decorated their their areas with bobbleheads and all these crazy <laughs> things, and it, it that's great. It was great. It was super super fun. Okay, so you're I love your passion and energy. Was selling to Home Depot a difficult decision? You don't know how much they paid us. <laughs> I don't. So maybe it was a really easy decision. It was an easy decision. Okay, no, I love it. We did not take institutional capital mm -hmm. for fifteen years. Once we did, we knew, okay, now that we've taken in the, the institutional money, we know in maybe five years we're going to sell. Okay. That was a decision. So it was part of the plan. Made. It was part of the plan. Yep. And everything we did was, was geared towards building a company of, of sustainable, defensible value. And uh, we ran it almost like it was a public company. I mean, we had great records. Yeah. We had audited financial statements, lots of processes, great governance. We had an independent board. We hired uh, Ernst & Young. We had Silicon Valley Bank, uh, mm. great outside directors with proper governance. So we ran it as a, as a, almost like a public company. Yeah, um, not having all the Sarbanes-Oxley and all those types of things that would be needed. But right. when you run it well and you have great organization, uh, at some point, people are going to come knocking. And if we're the leader by far, yes, then people are going to go. You know, they're going to be. I'm annoyed. Your door, right? Why, why they're you know we're like this pesky upstart company, and 
Home That's Depot and, and others, Lowe's, were, were looking and Home Depot made us a, a, an offer we couldn't refuse. And it was a great decision because being part of Home Depot has been great experience, super awesome. I mean, the, the CEO of, at the time has endorsed my, as a cover endorsement of my book. Uh, last amazing. week, yeah. Home Depot, this is now two or three years after I've left the company, Home Depot has used my book to create six learning modules to teach entrepreneur, entrepreneurism to its associates, to its leadership wow. team. So you got 5,000 people that are looking at the book and my principles that build blinds.com. So I'm still making a difference at Home Depot. And awesome. that is super gratifying to feel like you, you're still making some significant difference in other people's lives. Yeah. So next I want to ask about two really critical, maybe uh, transition points for you. Hey, sorry for the interruption. Just wanted to let you know that you can take the F3 assessment right now over at moneyinsights.net. And after the short five minute assessment, you'll get specific recommendations that will help you move from high income to high net worth. Enjoy the rest of the show. First one is, is when, when you were acquired, but like you said, you stayed on and you were now implementing not just not just the blinds, but the system that integrated with all these other uh, parts of, the, of the, the business. And then secondly, when you decided to leave Home Depot. So talk about, talk about those really two big transitions and, okay. and kind of how it affected you and, and how, uh, how it maybe molded you to, to where you are today. Well, when I sold the company, of course, you, there's some trepidation you want to stay, you feel like there's going to be some really good opportunities, but you hear about all the horror stories of CEOs who, yeah. or anyone who started a business, sells it to a big monolithic company, and then just gets gobbled up and swatted away. And the whole spirit of what you did and the fun, just mm -hmm. yeah, the culture, all of that. Yeah. All the culture. So yeah. the culture remained. Wow. One of the great things about Home Depot is that they said, we have a habit, like almost all big companies, of gobbling people up and just tearing them apart. Hmm. You need to speak up and tell us if we're doing anything that has these unintended consequences. So they gave me the, the, the freedom to speak yeah. up, and I did. And there were a lot of instances where if they had done what they wanted to do, it would have destroyed us. Hmm. How we paid people, this variable compensation program which turned out to be something that they wanted to do and implemented in their, in Home Depot. Yeah, uh, that's wow. it. So it, was, it went the other direction. It went the other direction. That's, that's amazing. Really, amazing. really cool. there's a lot of stuff like that. The technology that people in the tech in Home Depot were worried that we were some, what's called a shadow IT department. That's mm -hmm. these drifters that are doing yeah. their own thing. Like, how dare they think that they can actually build technology when they're not in Atlanta in the home office? <laughs> Just Jay and some bunch of hicks in Texas. Well, that had to be. That's not going to do anything because you're not Home Depot. Well, that was frustrating. And there was sure. a lot of speaking up we had to do. And it wasn't an easy thing. But <clears throat> we, we realized that our love language, familiar with the book, Love mm -hmm. Languages by Gary yep. Chapman, well, in business, there's basically three love languages. There's operational efficiency, there's product leadership, and there's customer intimacy, as written in the uh, book uh, Discipline of Market Leaders. 
And our love language is customer intimacy. Home Depot's was operational efficiency. It is. It's not that they don't care about customers or have good products. They do. But our defining uh, culture is one of customer intimacy. And once we realized each other's love language of business and accepted that love language is, okay, that's how you are. We're not going to try to make you the way we are. Our frustration with Home Depot went away, mostly. <laughs> and their frustration <laughs> went away with us, mostly. Of course, we were hitting our numbers. So as long as you hit your numbers, yeah, yeah, you can do helps. pretty much whatever the hell you want, <laughs> as long as it's legal. And we were hitting our numbers and doing far better than what the expectations were. So why not let Jay and his team continue doing whatever they think is silly and <laughs> Well, I think you just answered my my uh, my next question, which was going to be, what was it like to go from being like the CEO to being an employee in a way? Like you're still obviously leading a significant uh, component of the uh, what you were doing previously, but there's still this new element of uh, oversight. Was that difficult for you? Yes and no. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but because okay. they gave me the freedom to speak up mm -hmm. and gave me access, even to Bernie Marcus, the, one yeah, of the original amazing. founders of Home Depot. I had breakfast with him and talked to him and could have talked to him anytime, but I had direct access to the CEO, Very the cool. CFO, the whole C-suite, the senior VPs. I knew them all and they knew me. Yeah, that um, helps. So I, if, if there was a problem, I could talk to them. Yeah, that's and great. Usually in almost, I can't think of any time when after we talked about it, that the decisions were made generally the way we believe they needed to be. Now, you know, we're not these petulant kids that just feel like we have, have to get it our way all the time. Sure. That was nothing like that. But even our core values, we have four core values, which we can talk about. Yeah, Home Depot has eight core values. The HR people at Home Depot would say, you now have eight core values. And we say, <laughs> no, you, a core value is something that actually drives your behavior and is yes. within you. And yes. that those are not our core values, though they're very good. But mm -hmm. those are not our core values. That's not <laughs> how we got to where we are. So one of the things I did is created a values wheel that had our four core values in it, but then surrounding it, surrounding it were the eight core values. Oh, I love it. Depot. So we were able Brand. to negotiate. That's, a, that's sort of a, a symbol of yeah. how we operated. The, the core values were our core values. We recognize Home Depot's eight core values. But really, at the center of, of our values wheel was those four, and that's mm -hmm. what we—that's what we talked about. So but there was another question Rod asked, and that was leaving. Oh so yes, if, if leaving. If you want to go on to something else? I'm fine to do that. If you want to go back to that, it's up to you. Take we it. Were. Let's talk about really quick before we jump into the next question. So okay, so, so talk about leaving. What that was like? I knew it at some point. I, I was going to have to leave because. Yeah, I've been doing it 30 years. <laughs> Can't go forever. I mean, yeah. but, but you're rewired now, not retired, rewired. Maybe I'm we'll rewired. Hit on that. <laughs> so I'm not just doing nothing. I'm on five boards. I, I do tons you of podcasts. I, do speech. I did a speech this this morning at a, at a business <laughs> school at uh, University of Houston, which was great. 
Yeah, that is great. Two bunch of stuff and do something at uh, Amazon keynoting there and all over the, the country. Yeah, so that's this awesome. is just giving back. But th th I thought I want to make sure that whatever I'm going to do next, that I, my next gig, I kind of have in my mind. So I was already on a couple of boards. Yeah, so I was starting yeah, to do that. that. I wanted to make sure that the CEO who was going to take my place was somebody who I respected and wanted in that job and spent a lot of time grooming internally one of the candidates and got all the people who I knew needed to sign off on him to sign off to me directly, looking them in the eye and saying, okay, so Steve is going to be my replacement. Is that correct? They go, yes. <laughs> Great. Once I'd done that, that was good. And then I wanted to make sure that the core values mm -hmm. were were still embedded into everybody so that when I left, things wouldn't fall apart and they didn't need me. And <clears throat> excuse me, the last thing I wanted to make sure was that we were actually selling new products, that this vision that we had like 15, 20 years pre before was happening. And once I saw that the integration, because that didn't happen right away. That took a tremendous amount of communication, <laughs> a lot yeah. of communication back and forth all the time. Um, mm. And we did that. And once I saw all and once those all four things were happening, I knew, OK, it's time to go. My wife was worried that all my identity was going to be a CEO of this big company <laughs> and that I was going to be depressed and bored. And what am I going to do? And now she's going, you're working more than you did when you were <laughs> but I'm really not. But it, and yeah. do I regret it. No, I think it, it's great. I, I love what I did. I'm on a new chapter. And as I said, I'm rewired. I'm just doing new things for lots of different companies and certainly not bored. Boring yeah. because I'm I'm on a public board. I'm on like a, an I startup seed board and everything in between. And then I'm talking to I teach in the business school. It rises. Yeah, I love it. That's cool. Um, too. It's inspiring. People don't even know what they're going to do and whether they're even going to be in business. Yeah, I've got that whole trajectory. I've been through the whole trajectory, and now I'm able to teach that whole trajectory with the trajectory in mind that I've already experienced. So they like seeing this boots on the ground kind of uh, practical experience, and it's fun for me to to see it. And people come up to me and go, "That was really great. That really resonated with me." Mm -hmm. you know, it's, awesome. it's, it's it's awesome. I'm blessed, and I'm grateful to really be with you to maybe affect one or two other people who might hear this and go, yeah, I can, I can do that. Yeah. I'm going to do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Jay, if it makes you feel any better, I'm thinking it's inspiring me to figure out, okay, how do we get to the next level? So I'm, yeah. I'm with you, my friend, you're at least at the very least inspiring one person. Awesome. Um, okay. I have to ask you this question, Jerry. This okay. is kind of a tough one. I lost my dad at, uh, he was 49. It's not the same as losing your spouse, obviously, but you lost, uh, your wife, pretty early in the business, it seems like, right? And um, maybe just talk a little bit about like the impact that that had on just life and business as a whole. Right. Well, first, my mother died at the age of 46 from ovarian cancer. So uh, wow. that was, I was in college at the time. Mm. And then my wife died at the age of 47 from breast cancer. We'd been married 25 wow. years, three children. We'd launched the business the year before, going full-time online in 2001. She died August 2000, um, let's say 2001. Yeah, um, and then 2002, okay. 
is when when she passed away. So then I had to be thinking, you know, should I keep this business? How do I define success? How do I define yeah. happiness? And realized I needed to be introspective to understand what makes me tick. What are my values? And long story short, I came up with three. It uh, turns out only one was correct, but at least I tried. <laughs> <laughs> and now there one out of three four. is not bad. Yeah, that was pretty good. And then, uh, so now I've got four core values as a result of that and understand the, the fragility of time, the fragility of life. And that actually is my greatest motivator. Hmm. The motive, the, it's not the fear of death, but it's, it's the, there, I have a quote in the book from Ian Foster that says, death kills the man, but the idea of death saves him. And what that means is if you just know that you're going to die and you know life is fragile, get with it. Stop whining. Stop complaining. Just start doing something. Make the most. And yeah. make the most of it. And look for silver linings. And that's what I did. And that's what I've done. And my silver lining is that we were able to build something of real significance. And the people who were in the company have now gone on themselves to build some really amazing companies or to be senior vice presidents other places or CEOs some places or just start little small companies, but they're on their own independent. And that motivation and seeing people become the best that they can be, better than they ever dreamed possible, which was always our mission, is quite gratifying. And that's, that's really, it was, unfortunately through those deaths that I understood myself better. And it's kind of a, a tricky topic because you wonder if my mother and wife hadn't died, would I have been this successful? Hmm. I don't know. It's a yeah, tough, that's, it's that's a tough such question. An interesting question. question. Try not to even think about it. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Well, thank you for being, you know, open and authentic about it. I know that's a, that's a tough topic. I think it's a really good transition to the next question, uh, which is Christian was telling me about uh, something he heard where, you, where he had talked about your definition of success. Ah, so yeah. what I'd, I'd love it if you just share what what's Jay Steinfeld's definition of success. Yeah. And first, I one of the things I do is I read a lot and I read about successful people and I find out what their definitions of success is and how they define success and try to have some uh, context for how I might want to think about it. But here's where I, I've ended up. Success for, to me is, of course, it's successful to sell your business to Home Depot and make sure. that money. Come on, that's successful. Uh, to do $100 million in sales, that's success. Have a profitable business, 500 that's all. But the definition of real success for me was being in the process of getting better and helping other people get better. Because that way, you can be successful every day. Yeah. If you just get better or help one person get better at anything, that's success. You can be actually successful multiple times during the day. You could be successful 10 times during the day. And you could say, and in fact, if you're not, if you're not getting better at something every day, that's unsuccessful. Uh, you, and, yeah. and if you're conscious about it, you can improve on everything or at least yeah. help one person. So my definition is to help other people and myself, first myself actually, improve and be better than I was minutes before. 
Uh, that like happens. The great ones. Um, you're going to get to 100 million and you're going to sell <laughs> the Home Depot because eventually you'll figure it out. That I love it. I like it. Okay, so Jay, I wanted to pivot a little. And really that that definition of success transitions perfectly into talking a little bit about some of the principles from the book, Lead from the Core. Um, maybe just talk about the four E's. Just, just go through, talk about the four E's, these core principles, and just talk a little bit about how you came up with them, where those came from, why are those your core values? The, the four E's are really our secret sauce. If anybody says, how did you beat everybody in the blinds mm -hmm. industry and transform it? It was the four E's. They all start with the letter E. Yes. Four E's. Yes. First is to evolve. Evolve continuously. Now, we've talked about this already. You have to evolve and everybody around you has to evolve. Everybody has to help you. Everybody else evolve. That means every stakeholder. It's you. It's your department. It's your service providers. It's your accountants. It's your life insurance uh, professionals. <laughs> it's it's your investors. And of course, it's the whole company and it's your customers. So if everybody is helping in your goal in the community, if all you're thinking about is how can I be better and how can I make everybody else get better? Can you imagine how much better your company is going to be and how little you need to do to make it better? Because everybody is just doing this automatically. I call it autonomous excellence. The mm -hmm. company is just building without, all you're doing is establishing the right environment and making it safe for people to evolve and to take chances. And that means the second E is experiment. Experiment without fear of failure. I'm risk averse. I don't like taking chances, mm -hmm. but I take lots of chances and little ones that if any of them fail, it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. The downside risk is always safe. But if I do it super fast and do a lot of them, then I will get some stair-step improvements because we're going so fast at experimenting. And in even how you prioritize what experiments you're going to make is really important. You need to have a system for doing that. We can talk about that if you want, but I'm just going to go through the four E's right now. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, experiment without fear of failure and making people feel safe that they can experiment. Mm -hmm. We had these two giant test tubes, five foot tall test tubes, about a foot and a half wide. And in one test tube was all these marbles for all the experiments we did that did not work. Hmm. It was full of marbles. Mm -hmm. The other test tube, and we had these giant test tubes made. Jay, tubes Jay I was going to ask you what your, uh, I have a question at the end and you just, you just stole it from me. So I have <laughs> to say it. I was going to ask why the heck does blinds.com have giant bongs in their, in their Yeah, office? they were, they were made by the bong <laughs> member, uh, a person who makes, uh, makes bongs because I mean, yeah. who, you know, he knows glass. I, I loved the concept though. <laughs> just really interesting. Not only are you saying, Hey, do this, you're like living this idea of it being willing to be experiment without fear of failure. Yeah. But that's what core values are not just aspirational ideals that you put mm -hmm. on the wall in a plaque. It's not something that you say, this is what we aspire to be. A core value is what is your behavior. You may yeah. think it's something else, but it's nothing more than what your behavior is. When you get up in the morning and you say, I want to get better. Well, that's a core value. If you say, God, I'm going to need to get better at that, that's not a core value. That's just something that you're having to do. 
because you know you have to do it, but it's not what really drives you. It's not what drives your motivation every day. Hmm. So if you're thinking about your own core values, make sure they're actually what you do and what you believe in and what has made you successful. Okay, so the third one, uh, and then that second test tube of the one the test that did not work was only like 25% full. Hmm. So people That's saw awesome. And everybody who walked in saw these giant test tubes in front where they'd say, wow, they, this, they're they just now epitomizing and illustrating in vivid color that they experiment without fear and most of their experiments don't work. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. It, because if all your experiments work, you're not experimenting. Mm-hmm. You yeah. just think you're experimenting, but you're not because experiments generally don't work. Mm-hmm. And you have to be proud of the ones that don't work. What'd you learn and that kind of thing? The 30 is to uh, express yourself. Give people not just the freedom, but the requirement that if you're thinking, I mean, you're, we're paying you for your brain. So think and talk and tell us what you really think. Tell us about experiments that we can do. Tell us about how, where you think we need to evolve and say it in a way that's candid and respectful and we'll listen. And we're going to do something about it. We may say, no, we think it's not a good idea. Or we may say, we did do that. We've tried it and we've looked at it all certain ways. Or we may say, you know, it's a great idea, but we've got 10 other great ideas and mm-hmm. it's number 11 now. And we'll let you know when we get to it. And then you tell them, we finally got to your idea and it worked or it didn't work or whatever. So express yourself. And this gets into diversity because when you hire a diverse workforce, you're getting people with diverse opinions and diverse backgrounds and diversity of opinion. And you get more data points, you make better decisions. Hmm. So we're looking for data points and candid information. And I mean, who wouldn't want to be in an organization where you're improving and people are being supportive of your improvement and you get to actually talk the way you want to talk? You don't have to put on some mask and talk the way the boss is talking. And the boss actually reprimands you for saying, you're just agreeing with me. I don't need you to agree <laughs> with me. Tell me something I don't know. That's a breath of fresh air, I'm sure. Yeah. And people love that. Okay, the fourth E is it may be counterintuitive, but it's to have fun. Enjoy. Enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. And you can probably tell by now that I had a lot of fun building the company. And yeah, it's, it's been a while. Sure. I'm still, every time I talk about it and think about it, I smile because it was super fun. Yeah, there were headwinds along the way. There was times when, and when I was writing the book, I talked to my CMO, Daniel Kotler, who was like almost like a co-founder. And because when I first wrote the book, the editor said, you know, there's not enough angst in here and anxiety. You sounds like you were having fun the whole time. Like you're like, I was. But I was having fun all the time. So when you get something in there to make people think that it was harder. I, said, <laughs> so I, I, I called Daniel. I said, do you remember that not having fun any day? He goes, no, it was always fun. I said, yeah, but I need some stories in here. To make it <laughs> like, certainly we had headwinds. I mean, there were certain th- things that we were up against, and there were tons of them as we thought about it. So we put those in there because we don't want it to seem like it's some a piece of cake. But it was all kind of a game and all just a way of experimenting and pivoting and trying to figure out, okay, that didn't work. So, all right. You mean, work. Jay, for you, it just wasn't? always all about the money? <laughs> it was never all about the money, which is actually okay. 
If, if it is about the money, that is a fine motivation. One of the first yeah. classes I, I teach is why are you really in business? Mm-hmm. And people think it's about money. When they really think about it, it's not. But for some it is, and that's perfectly fine. And I'm not saying money didn't matter. Sure. Money definitely mattered. But the principal thing was about controlling destiny and being able to make your own decisions and autonomy yeah. and you know higher purpose and, and, and helping people doing things that people thought were impossible and being able to achieve that. That's fun. That's enjoying the ride. It wasn't about the free food. It wasn't about the shuffleboard and the ping pong, which we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had all those types of uh, startup types of things. And it looked mm-hmm. like a startup. But we worked our asses off. We worked really hard and we achieved things that nobody said we could ever do. That's that's fun. fun. That's fun. Doing things that people say you can't do and proving them wrong. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. I have a a difficult, or or maybe it's an easy question Uh, of the four E's, which one is more important or most important? (laughs) Oh, you know, that's a good question. I've never been asked which one is the most important because really all four of them, when you think about it, they work all hand in hand. Mm, sure. You can't do one without, you can't involve without experimenting. You can't experiment without getting input from people. So it's almost like you. It's, it's a four-legged stool. Well, it's a three-legged stool and the result is fun. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's really, it's bad. I, I can't really say one <laughs> well, is, is the most, most important, sure. but probably evolving leads the way because if you don't evolve, you're going to die. Yeah. And uh, the experimenting without fear is a way to evolve and exper- expressing yourself is a way to determine experiment to evolve. Yeah. And yeah, then the result great. is fun. And in the end, everybody is becoming better than they ever thought possible. And you're developing a culture where people want to be, and you can therefore retain them. And you can attract people, even if you're not paying the most amount of money. And in Houston, which is where we are, we were competing with all the big oil companies. We were paying a fortune, and yet people were coming to us, not everybody. But if you wanted to be in a fun environment, you went to blinds.com. And mm, you became awesome. a meaningful, significant uh, factor in building something of consequence. And you felt consequential. It's not like you go into a, a, a party and you go, oh, so tell me about your job. Oh, yeah, we shaved off two basis points of gross margin. Mm-hmm. I mean, who cares about that? You, <laughs> you, you want to say, yeah, we're transforming retail. Yeah. We are doing things that we're beating Amazon. We're beating Home Depot. We're beating Lowe's. We're beating everybody. And it's really fun to be out there. And and nobody even knew who we were. And none of us were big names. But there we were. Uh, doing it. Doing it. Doing it. Doing it. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So so I want to add just a couple more questions okay. before before we let you go, Jay. Um, and you've answered this question in parts throughout this conversation. But maybe we'll just hit it from the hit it right on. Um a lot of people that are listening to this show own businesses and are wanting to continue to grow and are going to be inspired by what you were able to do. Um, but right now it's, it's tough to just keep people. And so you've been hit, you've been hitting on this, but share, will you share with us your philosophy or maybe expound upon your philosophy around how to treat and keep people in your business? Sure. Uh, 
see if I can be succinct because this is a really good question. <laughs> and it's and I do realize it's a tough one, but but no, I, I heard you one. talk about it and it's, it's okay, not maybe a not a tough one. one. <laughs> it's actually simpler than people think. Okay. It's it's not about it, you. You have to be generous. Mm. You have to be generous with people. Now, generosity is not about giving more money. Uh, now, you have to adequately pay people. You have to. There should be no cap to compensation. If a person is worth double, they should be making double. I mean, you should pay people yeah, market. Absolutely. So I mean, you can't underpay people. But generosity is not about giving more money. It's giving more respect. It's about bringing humanity back into the workplace. That's how you keep people. That's how you attract people. It's by having, and, and what does that mean? How do you be generous without giving more money? Generous with information. Hmm. Letting people be clear as to what your final destination is. Hmm. It's not a really a final destination, but what your big vision is. Being abundantly clear with what that vision is and where they fit in and how they're significant giving them development, personal development through training, through monthly meetings with them and understanding not just this is what we expect from you, but what do you expect from me? What do you want in your career? That's being generous by asking that question and then being attentive and listening to that and actually doing something about it. So an example would be, okay, Jay, um, I don't know if I can tell you this, but I want to leave in five years and start my own company. Now, how many people would actually have the people did it all the time and they'd stay longer than five years because they were getting that training faster and becoming better as a result of being at blinds.com than had they just gone out on their own and tried to read it somewhere. Mm. So asking people what they want is a generous thing and listening to them and if, if they have something that they, they want to uh, express, if you say your door is always open, and when they say, you know, Jay, I've got something I want to tell you, it's, it's a suggestion, don't tell them to come into my office. Go to them. Go down to them and sit down next to them or slack with them and just say, okay, what, what's your idea? I'm all ears. My phone's down. I want to listen to you. That's generous. If they're, yeah, if they're not messing, if they're not doing their job, generous means thinking, is it their fault hmm. or is it my fault? Am I the one that's actually the problem because I put them in the wrong job, I hired the wrong person, I didn't give them the right expectations, I didn't give them the right resources, I gave them too limited a time to do the job, I didn't, I didn't train them well, is it the system that's broken and not them? And once you realize and you first think it's not them, but it's you, if people are late, why are they late? It's, they're late because you didn't make it clear that being late is not acceptable. Hmm. It was your fault. And you let them do mm. it. And they saw other, everyone else being late. Don't blame them. It's your fault. So be, being generous. Being generous. Yeah. Being, thinking that you're the one responsible for everyone else and that you're going to help them become the best they can be. So I think if you want to attract people, be generous with with just your attention and information and, and with clarity yeah. and make sure that you understand what their personal goals are. Mm, that's great advice. These are just the basics of humanity, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not, <laughs> this is not something that is 
really well you put them together so compactly and succinctly that it's just easier to understand so it's working maybe so, maybe so. it's working <laughs> okay well jay before we wrap up i mean this has been an amazing conversation i probably could answer ask a ton of additional questions but to be respectful of your time um before we wrap up though where can people find your book lead from the core Everywhere, anywhere, <laughs> everywhere, and anywhere. Right? It's everywhere. Easy yeah. to find. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, yeah, wherever you go. It was a Wall Street Journal bestseller, so it's it's, it's easy to find. And okay, yeah, go I've, find. I've done the the narration, so there's an audio book. There's oh, a brilliant. Kindle version. There's a hardback. It's it's everywhere. You can go to jsteinfeld.com, my yes. website, and you can get some snippets there and cool. find out. And you can buy it in bulk. There's all sorts of it's, e it's easy your company like it, yeah i love it okay jay this has been amazing thank you so much for being on with us uh we just super appreciate it thank you christian thank you rod appreciate it thanks for having me thank you for listening to the money insights podcast to learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show please visit moneyinsights.net the views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.